Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. Now that we know that our disease is two-part, and last week we talked about the body, this week we can talk a little bit more about the disease of the mind. Now, with many people, they find relief from stress in various ways. That can be working hard or going to work out or maybe their spirituality with God. But with an alcoholic, our stress relief is that first drink. It's about the relief that I would feel once I knew I could go and have that first drink or as I saw them pouring that first drink or as the drink was placed in front of me on that cute little napkin with a little straw that I didn't need. That began the ritual that started the process of the drinking for however long it would take. It was all about starting in the mind, and then the body took over. Let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to say about the mental side of our disease. Okay, we're going to look at the other side of this picture up here now for just a moment to kind of illustrate what Dr. Silkworth is talking about this mental condition we get into. And to illustrate that, we've drawn a little picture here, and on this thing we show an emotional barometer. Now, all human beings have emotions. We're very, very complicated, not only physically, but also mentally. And from time to time, our emotions begin to build up, and when they do, it causes us to be restless, causes us to be irritable, causes us to be discontented causes us to be afraid and various other different things. Now, most people sometime in their life, as they have these emotional problems, they find answers for them. Some people find an answer in in God from the very beginning, a power greater than they are. And in their emotional disturbances, they turn to that power and they get the relief that they need. Some people find relief from these emotional disturbances in, we'll say, uh, hard work. And they just work and work and work and get their mind off their emotional problems. Some people find it in gambling. Some people find it in food. Some people find it in sex. Some people find it in other drugs. I found it in alcohol. During that particular night at that high school dance, when I was wanting to be like these other kids, my emotions were getting out of hand. And I was restless, irritable, and discontented, and I was scared to death, and I wanted to be and could not be. And somebody handed me that drink. And the instant they handed me that drink, I found a solution to my problem. Because when that drink went into my system, all those fears and worries and anxieties and restlessness and irritability and discontent disappeared, and my God, I felt good. Now, the human mind has a computer up here, And in that computer, there's a memory bank. And if you've got a problem and you find an answer to it, immediately that's recorded in the brain. And the reason for that is, is because if it wasn't recorded, the next time I had the problem, I'd have to go find an answer again. But when it's recorded in my brain, then the next time I have a problem, it feeds that answer back to me. So the next time I was in one of those emotional turmoils or disturbances, my brain said to me, well, Charlie, why don't you try a drink? And it fed that feeling back to me again, and I took a drink, and immediately it worked for me again. 
Now, you repeat that process two or three times, and almost immediately you become mentally addicted to whatever the answer is. My answer, my solution was alcohol. Other people, it's gambling. Other people, it's food. Other people, it's other things. Now, that would be okay to find that solution to my problem if I didn't have the physical allergy. But now, the problem is, if I've got an emotional disturbance, and my mind feeds the answer to me, and he describes it as a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once from taking a couple of drinks, and my mind says, Charlie, if you had a drink or two, you'd feel better. And my mind feeds me that information, and based on the fact that I'm going to feel better, pushes out all other ideas. It pushes out the jailhouse, the car wreck, the divorce court, the hospital. It, it concentrates on one thing and one thing only, how good the first two drinks is going to make me feel, and I reach over and I take a couple of drinks. And then those two drinks trigger the allergy, and then I can't stop drinking. And I go through a well-known spree. And I come off of that well-known spree singing our national anthem, what I think it ought to be. My God, I'll never do that again. But down here at the bottom, I'm sober. And I'm restless, and I'm irritable, and I'm discontented, and I don't feel good. And my mind's filled with shame, fear, guilt, and remorse. And my emotions begin to build up. And it's not big things. It's the little things. It's getting up every morning and going to work. It's the damn screaming kids at home. It's the burnt bacon. It's the lousy, gripey boss. These things begin to build up in our head, and we don't feel good, and we don't feel good. And after a while, the mind says, well, why don't you have a couple of drinks? God Almighty, it'd make you feel good just to have a couple of drinks. And we begin to believe that we can drink. And that pushes out all ideas to the contrary. And we take a couple of drinks knowing full well it's going to be okay. And then the allergy takes over, and then we can't stop. And we go through the well-known spree, and Dr. Silkworth says we'll repeat this cycle over and over and over and over and over, unless, unless we can undergo an entire psychic change. Now, psychic deals with the mind. If we can undergo an entire psychic change, that means that we may be able to find a way to live. We're down here on the bottom, not only could we be sober, but we could be peaceful and happy and free. We're down here on the bottom, not only could we be sober, we could have that sense of ease and comfort without taking a drink to get it. Then we wouldn't need to take a drink in order to feel better. That's recovery from alcoholism. Now, before I knew these things, I did what nearly every other alcoholic does. You know, I begin to question somewhere along in here my ability to drink. I begin to get in trouble. I begin to get in jail. I begin to have trouble with my wife. I begin to have trouble on the job. Now my mind told me, Charlie, you're having trouble with alcohol, but it never thought about quitting. My mind says you need to cut back. You need to, you need to drink nothing but good, good bonded whiskey. You need to quit running with that damn crowd and go with this crowd. In other words, I tried to control my drinking while drinking. Any of you all ever try to control your drinking while drinking? Well, then I see why I couldn't do that. Because regardless of what I was going to do, every time I'd start, the allergy would take over and I'd end up drunk and sick and in all kinds of trouble. Now, after about four or five or six years of trying to control my drinking while drinking, I finally said one day, Charlie, I don't believe you can drink anymore. Quick, isn't it? 
I'm a slow learner. I said, I don't believe you can drink anymore now. When, when an alcoholic re realizes he can't drink anymore, he trots out the most useful tool that he's ever had, period. And we call that willpower. Now, people try to tell you and I that we are weak-willed people. Don't you believe that? We are strong-willed people. We can do damn near anything we want to do with our will. You know, weak-willed people do not become alcoholic. Hell, the third time they vomit, they quit drinking. <laughs> Alcoholic knows there's got to be a way to drink without puking. We damn near kill ourselves. Finally, we are strong-willed suckers. Believe me, we are. And the day I woke up and said, Charlie, I don't believe you can drink anymore, I said, okay, then I'm going to quit drinking. And I trotted out willpower, and I put him right in there between the problem and the solution, and I said, we're not going to drink anymore. Sick of will, we're through with it. Next day I woke up and I was restless, irritable, discontented, and I didn't feel good. And my mind began to think about taking a drink, and I said, no, you can't drink, you've done quit. You're not ever going to take another drink as long as you live. Second day, these ideas came into my mind and said, no, we're not drinking, we've quit. You've promised everybody. Third day that came, and I said, no, you're not going to drink. Nine months later, one of them little devils burned through. And I took a drink, and I triggered the allergy. And I was off and running again. So controlling my drinking while drinking won't work. Controlling my drinking with willpower won't work. Then what will work? To find a way to live where I can be peaceful and happy and free. And then I don't have to have a drink to experience that sense of ease and comfort. That's called recovery from alcoholism. That's brought about by the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Not the fellowship, but the program. Now, I think it's quite easy for any of us to see here. If you can't drink because of your allergy, and you can't quit because of the obsession, then you become absolutely powerless over alcohol. And if you become absolutely powerless over alcohol, then in order to recover from alcoholism, you have to have a power greater than you are. Because our power will not work. It's not sufficient. Period. Joe? I mean, it says that, on the other hand, and strange as this may seem to those who do not understand, once the psychic change has occurred, the very same person who seemed doomed, who had so many problems he despaired of ever solving them, suddenly finds himself easily able to control his desire for alcohol, the only ne effort necessary being that required to follow a few simple rules, and the few simple rules of the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. And we practice those 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, awakening, spiritual experience, all those words mean the same thing. It'll be a change of mind. And I'll be happy, joyous, and free. And I won't have to drink anymore. And that's the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous. As a result of the steps, after the steps, I get the psychic change, not before. How many of you who are alcoholics uh, remember your very first drink or drunk? How many of you remember your very first ice cream cone? <clears throat> yeah, there you are. Two here. Yeah, two. Three. Well, that's the obsession of the mind. And it hasn't gone anywhere. It's still right there. My mind is still, it's still right there, you know. And if I get in such a mess that I'm restless, irritable, discontented, and full of guilt, shame, and remorse, sober, I'm going to have to tap another drink. Because I don't suffer well, sober. Still don't suffer well, sober. 
I have to apply these steps to my to my mind or to my life. Otherwise, I'm going to have to take a drink. It happens all the time. That's all we've got for tonight. Thank you all for being here. We've enjoyed it. Hope you have. We'll see you in the morning. Don't worry. There's plenty more uh, Joe and Charlie to come. They were simply saying good evening for the first night of the seminar. This was a great discussion regarding the mental side of our disease. We can be in active addiction. We can be in recovery. And we can be irritable and discontent and restless. Breaking that mental obsession. Getting past the problems of halt, the, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, all the things that lead us to isolate and make sure that we're getting ourselves in a position of wanting more and more, or in a position where we're not reaching out and asking for help. We do that to ourselves. That's the mental obsession. The solution can sometimes seem worse than the present. And we have to understand that going through some trials, some going through some pain, going through some growth, growing through some change to bring about permanent relief from this disease we call alcoholism is worth every step on that journey. And you won't take it alone if you reach out to the program to do a couple simple steps. Get a home group, get a big book, and get a sponsor. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive Joe and Charlie podcast.